Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Personal Finance Podcast for Season 2. Please be sure to follow the Personal Finance Podcast Instagram at Personal Finance Podcast 80. You can also follow the Twitter page for updates on Personal Finance on Twitter. Alright, now let's get into today's episode. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the Canadian housing market, which has been on fire recently. Home prices have, a, have been at all-time highs, as there are record low interest rates. And despite that, there's also low inventory, which is starting to go up in the spring market as you see some people that want to move during the summertime. So they list their home during the month of March or even April or May. And there's also low inventory, which is starting to go up, which I just mentioned, and more people wanting to buy homes during this pandemic for more space as well. This has also increased the overall demand for housing as more people have wanted space as everyone is working from home, everyone needs a home office. And in today's episode, we'll be focusing mostly on the housing market and low interest rates, but but for mortgages, that will be for another episode. Okay, so let's begin by talking about the five main things that are increasing the demand for homes. So the first core demand, if you think about it as an overall picture, is the home price growth. Uh, more more and more people are wanting to get into the market as the prices are increasing and they're worried that if if the market doesn't correct itself or if it doesn't balance, then prices will only go up from here. And it's also another core demand for financing. More and more people want to own a home and they're figuring out ways that they can um, fit buying a home within their budget. And um, also population growth, you know, the population uh, in 2041, the population is expected to grow by over 10 million, right? So that just goes to show that the demand of housing will increase, obviously, because everyone's looking for a place to live. And, um, you know, that increases the demand overall. And also the savings rate, you know, more and more people are uh, saving as well to really own a home. And the people that don't really save, they may be taking on a loan, which is an extra burden. But there are people that are saving money for their upfront costs that they may have for a housing as well. Now, let's look at the other things. So, they're from the government. So, their transaction taxes, their property taxes, their different mortgage policies, their different social housing programs. Now, all these programs that the government really announced, they are helpful. But essentially, during this time, since the prices have gone really, really up, you may not even qualify for them because there's there's only so much that the, that the program can do at this time. And um, a lot of banks are offer also offering cash back on their mortgages, but you know there there's a lot of stuff that they've said in that fine print of those mortgage documents that may be a bit um, maybe something that people should be reviewing more carefully since um, there can be some very heavy penalties, which is what they include there. Now let's look at the non-core demand. So foreign capital, uh, domestic investors, speculative uh, speculative. Sp- Flippers, so those are people that are um, like um, flipping their homes, basically. They're renovating it and uh, taking out the equity from it. Now, there's also recreational property owners that are owning properties in like cottages. And um, now let's look at supply. So for supply, there's housing growth as well. There's also more active listings. There's also development pre-sales. So a lot of people are looking towards pre-sales as well. Uh, which is a good thing. And there's also hotel occupancy and there's also rental vacancy rate. So these are all the popular things that are driving home prices, basically. Now let's look at 
let's look at let's talk about this more. So many people almost also bought bigger homes than they currently live in with the equity they had in their existing home because they were able to benefit with a higher price increase. So when the prices increased, their current home gained more equity. Uh, and they were using, able to leverage that equity and take it out and use it to use it to move into a bigger house. Now, here's one thing to remember that even if they sold their house for a record price, they still had to buy it for a really, really high price as well. So it's sort of a market where it's buy high, sell high, and then you're going to have to buy high as well. So let's look at a brief summary. So national home prices rose 6.6% on a month-over-month basis in February. So this data is by the CREA. And actual not seasonal adjusted was actually up 39.2% year-over-year. And the number of newly listed properties rebounded by 15.7% from January to February. So that's almost by 16%. So um, after people saw what was happening in the market in January, more people got confident to list their homes in the market on February. And the MLS Home Price Index, which is the HIP, jumped 3.3% on a month-on-month basis and was also up 17.3% year over year. And the last point is the the actual not seasonally adjusted national average sale price posted a 25% year over year gain in February. Now let's look at some more Canadian housing market news. So um, Canadian real estate market overview for all property types. So this report was um, put up, put out on March the 15, 2021. So it showed that transactions, uh, there were a total of 53,407 transactions, which is up by 40% versus last February of 2020. So that just goes to show that like, you know, it's a, it's a big increase. Um, it's just under 50%, which is a lot as well. Um, the average sold price across all of Canada went up by 26% from last February to $678, $678,000. And uh, the MLS benchmark price also rose up by 17%. Uh, versus last February to $697,000, which is almost around 700000 And many people are also purchasing these properties during this time, which is a bit concerning due to the overbidding wars. Like many people that are purchasing properties during this time, they may be paying more for the home than they would have if the market was balanced. So for example, maybe if a townhouse was worth 600 when the market was balanced, now they might be paying 800 even 900 because... Um, they don't really know what other what other offers they have on the table. Now, some people may have be having to pay more in order to get the house, which may result in an affordability issue as well, or it may just mean that they may have to go out of their budget. So essentially, you may just have to put up more money up front out of your pocket, which may result in a higher mortgage, obviously. And, you know, you, since interest rates are low, people might be thinking that the mortgage is slow, and it may be low, but um, it's still going to cost you a lot. Um, it is also important to remember that many people are also buying houses now due to the fear of prices going up, which I had mentioned before. Now, people are also considering this because of low interest rates. They may give a person a greater chance of borrowing a loan at a lower, lower rate, which they can benefit from. Also, securing a low rate on a five-year fixed mortgage is good as the interest rate wouldn't be that high. Again, you have to do your own research for this, but... If you get a five-year rate at the lowest, which is possible in the market, again, you would have to search that up properly in the in whatever the lowest rate in the market is. Um, essentially, you know, you're good for five years. 
I would say. And many people also want to buy a home in this market because they, they, again, they fear that prices will go up. Since everyone is spending a lot of time working from home and also relaxing at home, more people want a bigger and comfortable space, which has increased the demand. There are also many people overpaying for a property, which is not good because the house may not even be that worth, that much worth to begin with. This is due to the unfair practices of bidding wars where you're not able to find out what the other offers are so suppose on a house there are 10 offers now i don't know what the other people's offers are and if i want to get that house i have to just go for it like give the highest price suppose the town is six hundred thousand dollars and there are 10 other offers and and my agent tells me or whoever he tells me that you know you need to put nine hundred thousand dollars if you want the house so if I want it, then I'll have to put that much money. But is it worth that much? Not necessarily. But it's a seller's market. That's why they want the highest price. Um, and this way, you're forced to use your best judgment with the realtor's knowledge to make an offer. You know, And it is very common to also see some people not being strong in the bidding war game because they don't want to overpay, which is a smart decision as well. You know, You can understand based on people's financial situation why they wouldn't want to overpay because it's common sense right like you just can't go out of your budget and that's totally acceptable you know you just have to search around a bit more in the market for homes but with a low inventory it may just be tough but as long as you keep searching and keep making an offer you'll eventually get one i would i would suppose there are also many first-time home buyers in the market because more people want to purchase a property now as they're worried again that prices are going up next year. You know, there are some first-time home buyers that are buying a million-dollar townhouses in some areas, and it really just goes to show the power that, like, how everyone really wants housing, basically. And many buyers are also just trying to enter the market. In some cases, people are going to have to go over their budget in order to get their offer accepted, which is not the best since you're paying more for the house than you would in a balanced market. However, in this market, is it, it is pretty common uh, because when you sell high, you buy high, which I've mentioned before. So let's, take an, let's look at an example now. So for example, if you end up selling a 3,000 square foot home for 1.2 million in the GTA and, a, and want a 6,000 square foot home, so double the size, um, you may have to pay upwards of between two to three million dollars, which a buyer may be okay with if they have built up equity in their previous home. So now, if you're selling up your if you're selling up your house for a higher price, and suppose you end up selling it for one point two million or even higher, that's the list price. So suppose you set, end up selling it for one point five or one point seven. So whatever equity or cash flow you get out from that, you might think that it may, may make sense to buy a bigger property. That all depends on your situation, um, and. I would also say that there are many people waiting for the prices to drop or for a balanced market or for the inventory to increase like as it, as it is now in the springtime. But it is just it is just a matter of trying to fit into the market as prices could increase next year again, you know? Like everyone says that you just need to enter the market and figure out a way how to start buying a property and making equity and getting the cash flow in. Not well not necessarily cash flow, but making equity basically. And that is extremely important. You know, again, it's important to ex- important to express that no one can for sure predict this, predict this. But, um, you know, there are studies and things that say prices will increase up again unless the government doesn't introduce any regu- regulations. But it might in the future. We just don't know for sure. 
Now let's look at more at the average home prices in Toronto during this time. So according to Wawa, so that's a free online platform that helps offer innovative solutions for prospective home buyers. So their market report summary, which was updated on March the 3rd, 2021. So it said Toronto remains a seller's market and home sales are close to record highs for the month up from 51% from February of 2020. The average sold price has increased by 15% year over year to 1.4 million and the detached home prices increased by 23% year over year to 1.37 million. Semi-detached home prices increased by 20% year over year to 1.5 million, 1.05 million rather, and the condo apartment prices dropped by actually 4% to $642,000. Now, this is very interesting because more people are trying to move out of condos in some senses. So like someone that was living in a 500, 600 square foot condo, you know, if they need more space to work, they have a growing family, whatever it may be. Or even if they're living in a thousand square foot condo, whatever it may be. Now, those people were selling their condos and looking for a better space to stay, like a probably like a property where they have a backyard, a basement, a home office, um, actual house, all those things. And it was very interesting to see at a certain point in the market, you know, a lot of people were telling uh, people if they want to enter the market to buy a condo and it was a good market. But now they're also overbidding processes, overbidding, overbiddings on those properties, which is now interesting to see because sort of everyone's caught on uh, because everyone wants to just enter in the market. And, you know, they also released a report and it said that all in Toronto, you know, like the average prices for homes, like semi-detached, detached, and even townhouses, they're all over above million. And since people are being kicked out of the detached market, maybe because they're first-time homebuyers or they just don't have that much upfront cash, they're having to move to townhouses and semi-detached, which will also increase the prices of those as well. Now, let's look more at the let's look at Brampton housing prices, for example. So the average sold price was 1.0 million. So that was 2.1% increase over a month-to-month change. And that was a 16.4% increase on a quarterly change. And that was a twenty, almost a 25% increase on a yearly change. Now, it's around the same thing for Mississauga. However, the monthly change increased by 8.1%. And the quarterly change was actually lower than Brampton's at 16.9%, which can be rounded to 17. And the... Um, and it was also lower than the Brampton one at 16.9% for the yearly change, which can also be and said as 17%. So essentially, if you have savings or you're even planning to get a loan for your mortgage, which most people may, it is important to know how to navigate a seller's market. In order to do this, you may also you may also want to work with a professional realtor and make sure that you're being represented and well in terms of offers and other things you may have goals for your future house. So for example, when you're selecting an agent, again, I'm not going to mention a specific agent or whatever it may be, but just make sure they represent just make sure that they are representing you properly in the market and they're giving you the best advice and information as well. You know, even though it's a seller's market, you still want to make sure that you're staying within your budget while also trying to save money maybe. Even if you can get the property for a lower price or agent can help you get it as a buyer, you know, that's really really good for you. Cuz any money you can save up front, it'll help you fund other things that will be um that will be they'll have to pay in the future now in order to understand this better let's look at what's remax says about a seller's market 
So they say that in the seller's market, there are more buyers than there are homes for sale. With fewer listings to choose from and more competition, home prices homes typically sell quickly, often seeing multiple offers or even bidding wars. So for example, if someone gives an offer on a property for $1.2 million and the property is listed for $900,000, the buyer, or no, rather the seller and the agent may think, why not just accept this offer even before listing the property on the market and keeping it as like a exclusive property that was listed on MLS for like maybe like less than 24 hours, for example. And in a seller's market, the seller has the upper hand. And now this is not the time to test your lowball offer skills. In a buyer's market, there are, more, there are more homes for sale than there are buyers. Since there is less competition, buyers can take their time shopping the market and have more negotiating power. The prices of home listed for sale could be stable or even falling. So that's in a buyer's market. So the buyer's market necessarily, you can negotiate on certain things and you, you know you could get a fair price, but in the seller is not necessarily what we're seeing right now. Now, after hearing this, you may be wondering, so how should even a first-time home buyer or a second-time home buyer navigate this market? Well, there are some tips. So the first tip is to be informed. Having a handle on market conditions is a first key step into a successful transaction. This is the case regardless of your market conditions, but especially if you're trying to buy a home in a seller's market in Ontario. Remember this also, that real estate is very local. So what is happening in one neighborhood may not be the case in another. So for example, if you're looking at a house in um, a Mississauga area, that will be very, very different from an Oakville area, depending on what area it is and what's the location and what it has to offer. Um, and that's why it helps to have an experienced real estate agent within that area or wherever you want to search with. Now, the next thing is to know your budget. So this is really, really important. Know how much you can afford to spend on a home. This is different than a mortgage pre-approval. Take into consideration your lifestyle and what sacrifices you're willing to make. You know, so that would be how much money are you willing to save on your current rate. Now, if you're planning to buy more homes, you if you're planning to buy a home, rather, you might have to curb your spending elsewhere. If you don't want to be making any lifestyle changes in interest of home ownership, you may have to lower your home buying budget or make some other um, you know, make some other adjustments, such as the size of your home or even the neighborhood. So, you know, most people, they're willing to give up some things, some lifestyle changes, like maybe spending less outside or whatever it may be, because down the road, it will be worth it since you're making equity in the property. But that all depends from person to person. Now, another tip that they said was, you know, you should get pre-approved for your mortgage, especially in this buyer's market. You know, they want a buyer's market. This is a seller's market, especially in the seller's market. You want to just make sure that you're getting pre-approved because the seller wants your offer to be less conditional to say, basically. Now, a pre-approval also locks in the current interest rate for a mortgage up to one or 20 days. So you can shop with the peace of mind that you're insulated from rate hikes in the near future. Now, if this rate drops, your lender should honor the new lower rate when you're ready to make your purchase. So again, this is where you have to do your research. Now, the next thing is to be prepared to act fast. If you're hoping to buy a new home in a seller's market, you need to take quick and decisive action when you find a property that interests you. This is where all of your prep work goes and it'll pay off. Now, the next last thing is to make a strong offer. So in a seller's market, you may only get one chance and it's 
not always about the money. A real estate transaction can be complicated with a lot of moving parts. With all other things being equal between your offer and someone else's, someone else's one that is tailored to the seller's needs, such as short-term or long closing, can tip skills in your favor. Aside from conceding to the seller's wishes, an offer in a seller's market should have as few conditions as possible. So conditional offer means that certain items, certain terms must be met in order for offer to be valid. And some conditions, some common conditions include conditional on financing. So this is common for first-time home buyers, which requires the mortgage lender to sign off before the deal can go through. The buyer has a few days to get this, and the process would need a home appraisal as well. So now if the lender does not agree to the finances property, the buyer will notify the seller and the offer becomes null or void, basically. So if so, so I don't know if suppose like a seller doesn't want all this stuff, then he'll just decline the offer basically. And the next thing is conditional on home inspection. Now this is a big thing. If you're buying an old house, why not? Why wouldn't you want a home inspection, right? It makes sense for why you would want one, but some some sellers they don't want that either. So a home is the biggest purchase most people make in their lifetime. So a satisfactory home inspection is generally recommended. This ensures the house is in good condition before the deal can go through. If it isn't up to par, the buyer can return to the seller and request repairs, a reduction in the price, or even can re-sign, resend the offer entry. Conditional on the sale of a home. If the, pros- if the prospective home buyer already owns a home, he or she may want to ensure that it is being sold before agreeing to the purchase before agreeing to purchase a new property so you know um oftentimes a seller may even allow for a home inspection but it all depends so maybe they might already have a home inspection done so maybe you could see that report and see if it makes sense um in the in the according to you okay now let's look at offer conditions so offer conditions are ideal for the seller as as each one has a potential domino effect but buyer beware, you may be tempted to remove the conditional on financing or home inspection condition in an effort to beat the competition. For your own protection, you should keep this as part of your offer. And the next thing is to be prepared to pivot. You're likely already accustomed to as a key 2020 survival strategy. And if you're hoping to buy a home in a seller's market, you need to keep it up. As we all know, market conditions can change in a dime. Having a back-to-back plan in case you need to delay the purchase or need to jump an opportunity sooner than expected is important. The next thing is to work with a pro. Home buyers also have the option to handle their transaction on their own work or to work with a professional real estate agent. Working with an experienced agent can ease much of the stress associated with finding and uh, buying a home in a seller's market. Now, some of the advantages may include better access to homes in and out of the local market, knowledge of neighborhoods and market conditions, negotiating skills, not usually a factor in a seller's market, but good to have in your back pocket. They handle the paperwork, enough said, and and they also offer their guidance support in the biggest buying decision of your life. Now, don't take the rejection personally if you're rejected an offer from the home that you wanted. Um, instead, learn from that experience and keep trying. Now, home buyers who have living who have been living in persistent sellers' markets know the pain of rejected offers and being beat by another buyer. Working with the right real estate agent helps buyers see new listings as soon as they hit the market, so they can jump on the one when you find out. So, here's another tip that I just thought of right now. 
Another tip is that if you're really wanting to get a property in this market, you may consider of looking at properties that have been on the market for 15 to 20 days. Now, those properties may be just on the market and the seller may be working, willing to negotiate a good price and a fair price as well with you to sell it through the MLS marketing system. And as and overall, this is what you need to know about the Canadian housing market. Now, I would say that this episode was more so focused on Ontario, but may give the impression of the overall Canadian market as well. Now, just before we end the episode, um, in this podcast episode, we mentioned three sources. Um, the CREA, uh, which is the CREA, the Remax, and um, also Wawa. So those people, this is the research that I had done for this specific podcast episode to provide the listeners with uh, proper information. And the CREA is the Canadian Real Estate Association. So on that website, you can see uh, the home home price stats and other things. And Remax is also a brokerage and um Wawa is also another another website that helps prospective home buyers really look at the market reports and summaries, which we which I included in this podcast because their information was quite valuable and it was quite well put together. So just before we end it off, thanks for listening to this second episode of the Personal Finance Podcast in season two. This is the second episode. We do have more new episodes coming out soon. And hopefully you learn something new. Also, all of the information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Please be sure to do your own research before purchasing a property or any other financial thing that you do. You need to do your own research on it based on your financial situation. That's very important to mention. And also, please be sure to make your own research. Please be sure to do your own research before making any purchase based on your financial situation. Now, the next topic on the podcast we'll actually be talking about um, index fund invest index fund versus mutual fund investing. Now that'll be the next podcast and it'll probably be releasing around maybe let's go probably around Thursday and um, that'll be talking about index funds versus mutual funds. Now I already did do an episode about index fund investing, which was the 17th episode in season one. And that was released on, uh, let me see, February the 3rd, 2021. So in the meantime, you can go check out that episode in a couple of days. And then I'll also be educating you about mutual funds. And we'll be comparing both of the two to really see, you know, which one may be the best. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for that episode coming out later this week on Thursday.